Welcome, my friends. Another Monday. We are winding down the horrendous 2020. And um, I hope you guys are all doing okay during these holiday times. I know how stressful it is out there. You're like, what the fuck? I haven't worked. I don't have money. I don't have fucking anything. I get it, man. And uh, all I can say is just hold on and get up each day, throw on the clothes, and keep fucking pushing through. We're going to get through this. We are going to get through this. Um, thanks for tuning in today. What is it? December 21st, a Monday. I don't know if I said that already. But uh, great guest today. I don't have comedians on that often. But when I do, it's definitely somebody that I absolutely respect. And today, the legend Jim Norton is here. He has uh, been one of my favorite comedians for years. I never got to see him much when I started comedy. But I would watch all his specials. I would watch stuff on YouTube. And he was one of the guys that... Uh, I would watch to try to figure this thing out called comedy. And once I got into the uh, New York scene and started working there quite a bit, I got to see Jim and people like Dave Attell and Colin Quinn and Keith Robinson. I got to see some of these legends. Uh, I want to thank you, Jim, for being on the show. I know you're listening to this. <laughs> but uh, anyway, and I also want to thank the great Club Soda Kenny for making it happen. Both fantastic humans, and uh, I love you both. Every day, Jim has a show on SiriusXM called Jim and Sam, and also he does a little uh, a little hour-long thing on the Aussie's Boneyard on SiriusXM. So thank you, Jim, for coming by, and uh, it was great to talk to him about comedy, rock and roll, uh, getting in shape, all kinds of shit. Uh, speaking of, uh, I wasn't speaking of this at all, but I'm going to speak about it right now. CBD Lion is my sponsor. God, these guys are great. I was just talking to somebody today. Yesterday, my wrists and ankles were hurting because I went like on a crazy eight mile hike and walk and uh and then i just hit some cbd lime and the uh, aches and pains were gone it's it's so amazing how great this stuff is like i said i use the uh, tinctures for a little sleep a little anxiety all that stuff get rid of that anxiety i, I don't i don't use it to get anxiety <laughs> that would be amazing if there was some product out there that just gave you anxiety like yeah i'm having a uh, i'm having a little trouble i haven't had enough anxiety do you have anything that will bring that on <laughs> cbd will get rid of your anxiety your joint aches and uh, help you sleep better i use the uh the topical lotions big time i use the roll-on one and it is it's perfect it's a thousand milligrams. I roll it right on my neck. I do it every day and I feel great. They also have uh, stuff for your pet. I got to get my little Gertie. 
cbdline.com use the code dean for 20 percent off and you can use this code over and over and over nonstop. it does not burn out get the cbd patch cbd sports tape full spectrum tinctures hemp flower isolate tinctures pet tinctures disposable vape pens disposable vape cartridges shatter cbd isolate holy shit the bath bombs are the best. Go take a rub-a-dub-dub in the tub with some CBD lion. Oh, CBD lion. Thank you. Anyway, I am all over the board today. I am fucking... What I like to do is try to do the worst intros ever. <laughs> um, I got a Patreon. I got a Patreon. You should sign up for my Patreon. Get a patreon.com slash Dean Ray. God, look at this. Sue Foley, the incredible guitar player, singer, songwriter, rock and roller, is on my Patreon now. Sue Foley, you are amazing. I want you guys to follow her on Instagram and listen to this. A uh, woman play the shit out of guitar. Morgan DeRose. Thank you. Pat Conroy, king of the Patreon this month. Gregory Plass, Sadler Vaden. Sadler Vaden. Holy shit. Fucking Sadler Vaden, another incredible musician. Joined the Patreon and is going to definitely be in my top 10 best records of 2020. I'm about to put that list out. Uh, Chase and Anders Olsen. Subscribe to my YouTube channel, leave a review on iTunes, and check out my second podcast, The Grail. Uh, that is happening right now. The Grail Podcast with Dean Del Rey. Hit me on Instagram. Hit me on Twitter. Hit me up, Malaz. All right. Happy holidays, have a good Christmas, all that stuff. Uh, here he is, the great Jim Norton. What's going on? Oh, I was I totally spaced on the time and I was out shopping. I'm like, oh, fuck, I'm really happy you texted me. Um, <laughs> but I wasn't too far from home, so. I'm bad at planning things on Friday, Saturdays because we work Monday through Thursday and I, I, if I ever have anything to do on a Friday, I have to like, I'm at a point now in life where like memento, I got to write down notes and I always got to leave myself handwritten reminders uh, or text myself because my memory is just getting really bad. Yeah, yeah. Does that affect you on stage? Like I hadn't gone on in eight months and then I was just out for 16 shows with Burr and you're just kind of like, I don't know any of my bits, you know? I haven't been on in, in, in nine months now, um, but I imagine when I go back on, which will hopefully be within a month, It'll be the same thing. You know, I'll just go up with it. It'll probably be at the cellar before I'm actually doing real gigs. Right. So it'll, it'll just be something to do to, you know, just to kind of warm up again. You miss stand up. I mean, you've been doing it 30 years. Do you actually miss it? Yeah. Yes. And no, uh, the part I don't miss is because I haven't been really writing material. Cause I knew if I started writing pandemic material, there was nowhere to do it and people are going to be so sick of it. So, um, I will miss it if I'm not doing it and other people are doing it. Like guys right. are doing little shows here and there, but no one is really back um, because things keep closing and changing. So once things are back, if I'm not doing it, I'm sure I'll fucking hate just sitting home, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. 
it's uh, that is an interesting thing. Like if nobody's doing it, I was talking to Marin about it. It's kind of a level playing field. And at first I was kind of like, oh, cool. This is kind of a, uh, a little rest that I needed. I thought it would yeah. be a, a couple months. And then when it yeah. was really long, I was like, oh, this sucks. Yeah. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm lucky that I have the radio show in the morning and uh, the UFC and Chip. So I have a bunch of stuff that it keeps me feel like I'm doing something. So I'm, I'm, I'm lucky to be able to work. Like, I'm happy that I'm still working. You know, that that's the... Uh, the thing, if I wasn't doing anything like pure comics who don't have a, a radio gig or podcast, I feel bad for because there's no outlet, you know, what the fuck a guy's going to do. Yeah. I mean, and also in this uh, world of doing stand up, you can't just be a stand up comedian anymore. You know, if you're just doing that game, you're going to be out. That's just all there is to it. You have to have all these irons in the fire, especially if the business isn't going to pick you up. You got to be doing it yourself, you know, podcast, YouTube channel, whatever you can do. Yeah. I mean, it really is uh, just an act of desperation. I feel like that's what my career is at this point. I'm, I'm just running around trying to get anything done. Um, you know, that's why I have a bunch of different stuff. Cause I'm always expected to get fired. Like I'm always expecting to get fired. So I always have different shit because I figure if I get fired from one, I'll have something else. And if I get fired from that, I still have this, you know, it really is just thinking that uh, I'm going to get dropped by the business at any moment. Well, it's pretty scary. Uh, I mean, Jason Ellis, he just lost his gig out of nowhere. I don't I know. know. I still don't know why he lost his gig. I don't know if it was money or what was going on, but wow. I mean, that's like a, he had only one thing going on now, you know, you got to pick it up and try to do something. Yeah. And it's not like he's not popular because he is. And that's what's scary about it. It's like a guy like Ellis he has a big following, man. And, and you know, you see Ellis Mania and he gets a shitload of people there. So the fact that if he can get dropped, I'm guessing it was money. Um, I, I think they didn't renew his contract. So I'm going to assume it was money. I mean, I can't think of any reason why they wouldn't other than money. And they gave all that money to Stern. So um, you know, it means anybody else negotiating this time is probably fucked. <laughs> you know, it's a bad yeah. time to be negotiating. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're right. It's it's funny because I love Sirius XM. It was really all I really kind of wanted to do. I moved to New York. I thought, oh, maybe I can get into that and get it going. And then when it just wasn't happening, I was just like, fuck it. I'm going full on podcast. I mean, I've been podcasting nine years, but I mean, I really hammer it now, you know, yeah. to where it is like a serious XM show with not, you know, like a daily thing. What I hate about podcasting is getting guests for it. And right. for some reason on a radio show, we have a booker and even that can be a little flake. It's just for some reason, it's a little easier and it's, it's more of a machine that's in place. Whereas with podcasting, everybody does them. And even on chip once a week, it's hard to get people sometimes. That's why I stopped doing it for a long time. Um, Cause I was just sick of asking people. I fucking hate hey, do you, want to my you know how it is. It's hard. Oh God. It's yes. It's the worst. And, and then, people are hitting you like, Hey, you should have David Lee Roth on. You're like, Oh really? Yeah. I haven't thought of that. You're right. It's yeah. like, this shit is, they don't, you know, because I got a podcast, they think I'm just like world known. And I just pick up the phone and, and get people on, but it is so fucking hard, man. It is beyond hard. Yeah. That's why Bill, the way he did his podcast was really good because Bill can just talk by himself for an hour. And I think that's the best way to do it. I mean, you can run out of shit to say, of course, but I mean, like he doesn't rely on anybody. And I think that's a, what a great ability to have, to be able to do your own, be, to become known for your own, just kind of going off on different thoughts and going down different paths yourself uh, is probably the best way to be. And um, I, I think it's obviously very hard. 
Oh yeah. I mean, people always ask me all the time, you got any advice for a podcast? I'm like, don't do guests, you know, and be consistent. That's all there is to it. Yeah, I guess so. Right. You got to be consistent once a week or twice a week. How many do you do a week? I do once a week, uh, let there be talk. And then I got a new one called the grail where I feature people that make shit like home stereos or cars or motorcycles or, you know, any guitars. Right. And then I do a Patreon once a week too, uh, which is Patreon is my main focus now because it's the real fans that are there. The other people, if you went away, they wouldn't care tomorrow. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, they just find a new one. Oh, bummer, you're gone. Oh, here we go. I'm on this one, which is wild. Yeah, and Patreon is even hard, too, because what happens is people have to choose now between different people's Patreon, and they only have so much money. Like, you know, people only have so much to spend a month. There's no stimulus check. Everybody's fucking Christmas is here. Like, it's it's a rough time, man, for everybody. We're, we're lucky to be getting any money at all for doing this because, uh, you know, on, on Patreon, I just see it. Like, people... Like you, I read certain exit surveys and a lot of people are like, I'm sorry, man, I just don't have the money. I'm like, yeah, I get it. It's okay. I'm not, yeah. you know, absolutely. I totally understand. I mean, I'm, I, I, I'm just like, when I see people each month, I'm like, Oh God, thank God. Thank you, man. Yeah. Thank you for real. You know, I, you know, I, uh, I've only been doing comedy now 11 years this week is my anniversary, but yes, I, uh, always loved comedy. I grew up on it. I don't know. How old are you? 40, uh, 50, Jesus, 52. I almost said 42, 52. Oh yeah. So you're Bill's age. I'm 54. Uh, I wanted to do comedy my whole life. I just didn't know how to do it. So I started playing music, you know, cause the neighbor kids played music, but, uh, you know, who was it for you back then? Were you a, a Belushi SNL guy? Of course we had our seventies guys prior and, uh, Carlin and all those guys, but what was it for you? I mean, the guys I loved were, were Pryor and Carlin in that order and uh, and Robert Klein, um, I, I think was my, you know, my third favorite, maybe um, or Rodney, you know, those guys, Joan Rivers, I always felt was super underrated as far as being one of the all time greats. Um, but yeah, it was guys like that. I mean, I, I, I always wish I had a better answer too, like, um, but those were just the guys that I I listened to. And, and the first time I realized that there was like a generation, the first time in life I realized oh, shit that I like people younger than me won't like was when Eddie Murphy got really popular with Delirious. Um, I think I was a sophomore in high school and the freshmen were running around loving Delirious. And I was like, no, but Richard Pryor. And they were more into Eddie Murphy. And there was only like a one or two year age difference. But that was the first time I saw something, a generation after me, even though it was, you know what I mean? Part of my generation where I liked something that the people behind me didn't like. And it was, it was comedy. It was the first thing I noticed it with. Yeah, it was a lot like music, like the kids right above me were Zeppelin and Eagles. And I was like ACDC, Cheap Trick and Kiss. So I was like, you know, growing up, I thought Zeppelin and Pink Floyd were just stoner rock that that older kids listen to. And now, of course, I love them more than anything. Of course. (laughs) Yeah, I I didn't like it. I mean, I liked the Kiss, of course, but Kiss was even at that age. At times, you know, people would just attack the makeup. You know, it was a hard one to defend in high school because, uh, you know, they would, they like Zeppelin. They start attacking kiss. So like, yeah, but they were fucking makeup. You know, eh, yeah, they do. Yeah. I mean, or, or they would, or I, I didn't know how to counter the argument at that age. You know, they're all gimmick, even though they weren't, but I, I didn't know how to counter that argument. Yeah. It's yeah. funny how rock wars in high school, it was like the original Twitter, you know, the original trolling was you see somebody with a shirt on and you'd say shit about it. And it meant something, man. It was, it took it very personally. 
oh yeah you'd be like lover boy and you're like well dude the first record's kind of heavy and they're like what are you talking about heavy yeah but you know i liked it all it was weird i was a prince guy i was a uh you know earth wind and fire guy but i was also uh a kiss guy there was a station that just played everything in my town i just listened to it all you know they don't do that anymore there's nope. no stations that play everything they, they, there's no stations i remember the first time i ever requested a song on the radio was uh some local new jersey station you know 1067 light FM. it was like one of those type stations and uh, i called up and i requested the wreck of the edmund fitzgerald and it was like a soft rock station. And I'm like, could you play that? And they're like, yeah, we'll see if we can get to it. And of course they didn't. Um, <laughs> but I really had no idea how radio worked, that they had playlists and things that they were going to play. And a fucking a nine-minute Gordon Lightfoot song probably wasn't going to get put at the top of the list. Remember that? Just being on hold forever. And then the guy would just pop on. It would be the guy, too. And yeah. I'd be like, Jim Norton, uh, what's going on? And you'd be like, oh, yeah, can you, uh, can you play Kiss, Shock Me? Uh, just hang up. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Hello. There was that little. And then you knew you were talking the first time I got, I think I got mentioned on the radio once years ago. Like it was for like dedicating a song and hearing your name on the radio. I was like, Holy fuck. You just heard your name on the radio. You felt famous. Yeah. 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 You've had an interesting career. I, I, it was great to be in New York. Uh, the last three years, I was there quite a bit and I love seeing you and Attell and Colin and Keith Robinson, you know, cause I don't get to see you guys. Uh, I started in LA, so, right? but I knew who you were. Of course. Um, the reason I got into comedy really was, uh, I started watching lucky Louie. Oh, and, I love and, that show. Oh, man. And I was in love with this show because I loved All in the Family growing up. And I felt it was like this, you know, I love that thing with the shitty sets and yeah. all that. And I just thought it was one of the greatest shows ever made. And you were on it. And I was like, who's this guy? And that was my first real uh, exposure to uh, to you and your comedy uh, what was it like doing that show? Because it was so cool looking, you know, I think a lot of people didn't like it cause it looked cheap and that's what I loved about it. Yeah. They, a lot of people too thought that it was the laughter was fake. The laughter wasn't fake. The laughs were so loud sometimes. And that was a criticism. One guy wrote, they were so loud in certain things. He thought they were being juiced up, but Louie would never let them fuck with the laughter. He wouldn't let them sweeten it. He wouldn't let them do anything. And before every episode, he would walk out. And it was terrifying, by the way. It was a scary experience because I'd never done it in front of an audience before. And he would walk out and go, hey, look, we want you to enjoy this. But if you don't think it's funny, don't laugh. And if you think it's funny, you know how Louis is. He's so practical. And um, no, because it was all filmed before it aired, none of them knew any of our characters. And all we did 13 episodes, one which was a, like an extra episode they didn't air. Um, and and uh, nobody knew our characters. I think they were coming in from like shelters. They were bringing in people. They weren't fans, great audience. And they were, yeah, they, I mean, they, they had fun and they laughed at all the harsh shit. Like they were great crowds, but I, I remember uh, no one knew who any of us were. We had to be reintroduced every time. And there was no like, woo, cause we hadn't aired yet. And uh, that was a goddamn fun show. It's something would bomb or whatever. And a lot of times we'd be doing a second take and Louie would go, do you, do you got anything else? You got anything else? Like he was really willing just to, and in front of the audience, just to try a different joke. Um, it was a, it was a, one of the best experiences of my life. I, I loved shooting Lucky Louie and I bombed every rehearsal. Like I would do well in front of the audience, but I, w- I was obsessed with HBO was going to fire me. Me and Laura Keitlinger, 
we're always commiserating on how fucking HBO is going to fire us. We suck. They're going to cancel. And um, I would bomb in every rehearsal. I would just die. And uh, I was like, they're going to cut me. They're going to cut me. And then luckily it would work in front of the audience. Oh, man. Yeah, I mean, for you, all the executives. You, you, that's funny to hear because you kill on that show, you know? Thank you. Yeah, I mean, it, it wound up going good. I guess because I had done it a few times, like in run-throughs. But um, I, in front of the uh, executives, the writers, I would fucking tank. It was, it was the worst dread for me was the run-throughs. Even more than the live shows were the run-throughs. Because like Carolyn Strauss and all the HBO bosses would just be kind of sitting there watching. Mm, okay, okay. And um, I, I was uh, constantly obsessed with getting fired. I'm like, she hates me. And uh, then I found out that Carolyn was one of my biggest advocates behind the scenes. Louis told me, oh, she loves you. She's always pushing for you to do more. Um, so, yeah, it's funny how we think one thing and it turns out that the people watching are thinking something totally different. I always think that. I always think I always think yeah. like, oh, this guy hates me. And then later on the podcast, they're like, that guy was great. And you're like, oh, fuck, yeah, I thought this guy hated me. You know? It's yeah. That, I've had guys. Oh, sorry, Dean. I've had guys yeah. tell me that, too, like younger guys like Sam Marill and Mark Norman. Cause I wouldn't talk to them at the cellar for a lot, but it wasn't because I didn't like them. It was because I have low self-esteem and I'm like, those guys have a click and I don't have like, they're not going to want to hear from me. Like, you know, you, you feel like I have nothing that people want. Like, so I would always feel like I, I love those guys. I'm like you guys thought I didn't like you. It's fucking crazy. You know, but I, you know, my own insecurity. Well, comedy has that definitely that world, especially at the cellar. Once I got past there, I was like, Oh, no one likes me. You, you just don't. And then right on, you, a lot of it is your own insecurity and you're yes. just trying to fit in, you know? And that's such a high pressure. Just people don't understand the seller and the store are like such fucking throttles. You know, you're like, oh my God, I gotta, I gotta be good every time, you know? And because you know most of the people on the show too. It's always weird. Like, you know, a lot of my friends go on, uh, you know, I, I, I'll do the store once in a while when I'm out there, but, but I know almost, you know, 80% of the people on the lineup, I know from doing gigs or whatever. And it's always weird when you see people on the opposite coast, when you don't live there, like they're so happy in the radio studio, but then you bump into them and like, Oh, Hey man, what are you doing? You're out here for a while. Okay. Which is the comedian's way of saying, I don't know what else to say to you. So how long are you out for? Like, that's just, <laughs> that's a classic. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's our, it's, it's, it's the comic communication way of going, a lot of crazy shit going on. Like, you know, when you're stalling in front of an audience, that's how we stall with it. And it's not to be dicks, but we don't know what else to say. Are you yeah. here for a while? Or, you know, hoping that will spark something. Yeah. Yeah. It's so true, man. It's so true. What, what do you remember? I always love to talk to guys like you because you're 30 years in. Um, one of the things I remember quite well was falling in love with Lucky Louie and then going and watching Louie's comedy from years ago and going like, Oh, wow. This guy's way different. You know, yeah. old days doing dolphin sounds and shit. What do you remember of like guys like say Burr and, and, and Dave Attell and all these guys, like, do you see guys that were totally different back then? And you thought they're not going to make it or I'm not going to make it, you know, that kind of thing. Always. I'm not going to make it always. I'm not going to make it, but yeah. you, you couldn't watch Dave or Bill or any of those guys, um, even when they were, you know, I mean, Dave started, I think, a little before me and Bill after me um, by a couple of years. But even then, like when you're watching these guys develop and you're kind of developing as well, you knew they were fun. Like there was no I can't think of anybody I was really friends with that. I was like, ah, that guy's not going to make it because I can't fake it. Like with that, I couldn't have been friends with people who I thought sucked yeah. because I wouldn't be able to hide it. And it wouldn't be a fun relationship to have like. 
all of my friends from back in those days, I really respected, you know, Keith and Bobby and Voss and Colin and Louie and like all the guys that I was friends with the seller and Geraldo and Patrice. Like, I, I mean, Keith, I respected his comedians too. And it helps because you can't be really good friends with somebody in comedy who you think sucks. It's just too hard to fake that relationship, you know, to fake the respect. You can't do it. Yeah. <laughs> so you can only get so close yeah. to them. Uh, but yeah, you would see Bill. I mean, uh, you knew he was great. I mean, it, it was, it was obvious that he was a, a great performer and a, and a great writer. Like, you know, it, it just, and a tell is a tell. I mean, you couldn't yeah. even back then, you know, I think the first time I worked with him, it was in the early nineties at a, place called poor billy's in um new jersey vinnie brand who owns the stress factory used oh, to yeah. book it and love uh him. he's cool. yeah i love vinnie too vinnie yeah. vinnie was always i mean i remember before the stress factory the original club he used to book called the clarion it was a hotel and um poor billy's i worked with david tell i worked with uh bobcat goldthwait during the la riots love no him. he can't no he canceled i think i worked with the tell instead or something like that but it was whatever the la riots were i think that's when i first worked with dave all right. Uh, I got to tell you guys, it is kind of a stressful, stressful year. Obviously, 2020 has been like nothing we've ever seen. And combined with the holidays right now, people's depression and their state of mind is very, very fragile. And I've got some help for you right here. Is there something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals? I'm telling you, this stuff helps right here. Better help. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P. Betterhelp.com slash Delray has got the answers for you. And you're going to get 10% off the first month. So do not miss out on this. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. That's right. No more going down to the office, risking COVID or being embarrassed or whatever. This is perfect. You can start communicating in under 48 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not one of those. And it's not a self-help. It's professional counseling done securely online. There is a broad range of expertise available which may not be locally available in your areas the service is available for clients worldwide you can log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor this is fantastic look i know you guys out there might be feeling a little off i i get there all the time and i talk about it uh, pretty openly this stuff is great betterhelp.com is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. It's more affordable than traditional online counseling and financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today, so they're going to give you, like I said, 10% off for the Dell Razors, BetterHelp.com dot com slash delray d-e-l-r-a-y visit their website and read testimonials right away new testimonials every day visit betterhelp.com slash delray that's better h-e-l-p and join over one million people who have taken charge of their mental health in fact so many people have been using better help 
that they are recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. Special offer right now, one more time, for all you Dale Razors, listen and get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash Delray. Let's get into some music. You and I absolutely love rock music. At what age is your first concert and who are the guys that you get into right away? It's got to be Kiss because you're like the same age as me. But what concert do you go to first and who are the early records you buy? It was all Kiss. Um, The Village People, too. I loved The Village People. Yeah. My first concert ever... And it's funny, I have a giant bus poster, um, you know, that's like, you know, God, like, it's literally longer than this. It was like went on the side of a bus, Kiss, Madison Square Garden, December 14, 15, 16. And I, I look back on it, I think it was 1977. I, I, I always thought it was after that, but maybe it was 77. I don't know. Uh, the Alive 2 tour. Right. And uh, my dad, I, you know, it was rock and roll over towards the beginning of the year, I think. And a lot of two tour was the second half of the year. And there's footage from December 14th or 15th, like from that night. But there's so much footage of Kiss. I'm dying to see footage of December 7th from MSG 1977 because I was at that with my father. And we bought the tickets in July. I think he gave them to me for my birthday in July. We had wow. to buy them like that many months in advance. Right. Uh, and we were way up in the nosebleeds. First um, concert? First concert was Kiss. And I re- I always thought the Cheap Trick opened that. But I, but not that show. I think the show I saw, because I've looked it up, it was some other band. But I can remember hearing either Surrender or I Want You to Want Me. And I think that they maybe they covered it. Um, or maybe that song wasn't out yet. I, I don't remember. I always thought it was Cheap Trick and I, I could be incorrect. Yeah. I saw uh, 78. It was a day in the green out in the Bay Area. They had these day in the green festivals, huge, that Bill Graham put on. It was uh, Cheap Trick, ACDC, Journey, Blue Oyster Cult, Ted Nugent. Jesus. Fucking nuts, man. Yeah, yeah. And it's, you know, I've listened to these bands from that day on. But I did see Kiss uh, 79 Dynasty Tour. As we're talking, I just looked up to make sure I didn't mix up the date. December 16th was their, uh, their final Dynasty Tour show was in Toledo. So that was definitely in 1977 or 78 that I saw them. I think it was 77. And it's funny, ACDC was opening the Kiss Tour that I saw, but the, the, the run, like the dates right before the Garden. They didn't open the Garden, unfortunately. That was Bon Scott days, too. I would love to have seen Bon Scott. Yeah. Uh, even though at that time, I don't think I care about ACDC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't care about ACDC until that day. And then I, I remember everybody was into Angus. He was coming through the crowd, but I yeah. was into Bond because he had tattoos and I'd never seen anybody other than my uncle with tattoos. So I was like, what the fuck is that guy? Just a vest, tattoos, just gnarly, you know? Yeah, I, I wish I had seen him um, in hindsight again, looking back, because I love, uh, you know, I love his, I, you know, I love Bond Scott. I mean, I wish I had seen him live, but I didn't get into ACDC and probably to the early 80s. Like I back in black, I like, but I never loved it. They, they they're a band that I, I enjoy, but I I never liked them the way I like Sabbath or Kiss. Wow, wow! Now I am a heavy Dio Sabbath fan. Yeah, me too. I absolutely love the Dio era and saw that uh, you know both those tours, the Mob Rules and Heaven and Hell. Did you see him with Dio? No, um, and I don't think I saw 
Ozzy until Motley Crue was opening on the Bark at the Moon tour. So I'm going to guess it was 83 or 84 was the first time I saw Ozzy live. But no, I never saw... Um, um, I never saw Dio Sabbath. I saw them as Heaven and Hell years later oh, in 2007 yeah. when they that taped at Radio City. They were amazing. They were amazing. Um, and Eddie Trunk let me in the studio and he had all four guys in. We um, were Vinny and uh, Geezer Tony. And it, was, it, was, it was great. You know, I, I love that version of Sabbath. It's so good. I think the Mob Rules is a masterpiece record. It is. It, yeah. It's so insane. Uh, and then after Kiss, who do you go to see? Do you just start going to shows nonstop? No, I mean, again, because I was young, the village people my dad took me to. And I remember Rush was touring and tickets were $35. And this is probably 1981. And I went to 82 and I went to buy a $35 Rush ticket, knowing that I wouldn't go because I had no one to go with. I wasn't going to go to the garden by myself. I was a pussy. I didn't know what to do. <laughs> it's, funny. it's funny. I had one ticket to see Ozzy at 84 and I still have the ticket on the train. They told us the show was canceled. We were all the way there. And they're like, oh, that show's canceled. Ozzy broke his leg. But I'm, you know, I, I would love to know what actually happened. I don't think he broke his leg. Something must have happened. Yeah. Um, maybe he got arrested or he was fucked up. Or, but yeah, there was an '84 Aussie concert I was on my way to see, and then we found out that the show was, uh, was was not happening. And I also did the overnight thing where you stand out in front of Ticket Place all night in front of, at the Garden. Yeah. And I did it, and um, I, you know, waited all night for tickets, and I finally get up to the window, and my mother had given me an expired credit card. So like a fucking dick, I had oh. to go home. Oh, with, with no tickets. Yeah, that was awful. <laughs> that was a rough one. That was a rough one. Inspired oh, credit card. Oh, my God. Yeah, that was a heartbreaker. What were the um, village people like? Did, were they lip syncing or playing, singing? I, you know, again, at that age, I, yeah. I again, it's I don't remember. And I want to say, if I remember, I thought Sister Sledge was the opening act. Oh, yeah. And I don't remember uh, who, because I remember a long version of We Are Family, but I don't remember what the village people did that night or what they sang because yeah. kiss was such a stronger memory for me. Um, I, I just don't remember what they did or if they were, like, I saw sister sledge at Disneyland on a summer vacation. They happened to be playing a free show in the middle of tomorrow. And they just came out underground that stage and uh, you know, played there. They were, we are family. They're up there just rocking it for free. And they have one song that people really like. And I don't think anybody cares about anything else that they do. I mean, again, not that I'm familiar with. I know one song and, um, you know, I mean, it's a fucking big one, but besides that, I don't know. I'm looking them up as we talk and I, I don't recognize any of their stuff except for that one song. Yeah. And it was a huge hit. It's amazing that we're talking about it uh, right now. Uh, most people, there's a ton of one hit wonders, but not like, oh yeah, you know, we are family. Immediately. We know what we're talking about. Sister Sledge. Well, most people, and it's funny, you hear songs like Radar Love. Yeah. And most people don't know who sang that, or most people who don't know, uh, what is, the, there was one I heard today. I was, during my workout there, she was playing an 80s rock list, and there was uh, the final countdown. Oh, yeah. Yeah. -da -da -da. <laughs> I don't know who the fuck sings that. Yeah. I know the song. I can't yeah. think of the band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No Man. idea. They make money like Super Bowl commercials on that all the time, that fucking song. Yeah, you hope the band makes it too because they got so many bands get fucked on royalty deals and all that stuff. So you hope that those guys are getting some of that, you know? Um, I don't know how much it's worth at this point, but I imagine with all the, the, the ads and shit, you know, they probably got fucked out of that money. They probably yeah. got fucked. Yeah, yeah, I mean, if Taylor Swift had to fight to get her shit back from Scooter Braun, you know they got fucked. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. How does, uh, I was going to ask you this, uh, you come out to LA once in a while and a lot of people are moving around and everything. Yes. Um, you ever thought that you would not live in the city and move somewhere else? You know, I love my apartment in the city, so it's not, I could see myself maybe living in LA someday, but I mean, I really like where I live. Like I like where my apartment, I like my, I, have, I got a good deal on a place. Uh, it's got a good, it's got some outdoor space. I love the view. Like I'm happy there. So it helps if you love the place you're in. Yeah. Um, and New York is just, you know, it's taking a beating right now. But look, there's light at the end of the tunnel. There's a vaccine. So things will pick up. It might be a while, but at least we know that things are going to be moving back towards a decent direction um, soon. So I can't see myself moving. I don't blame guys like Rogan or, or uh, Elon Musk is leaving L.A. or a lot of guys, but they're doing it for tax reasons. Uh, you know, they, they, the economy is decimated. They want to tax people at a higher level. It's just crazy. Yeah. Now they're talking about a, uh, it's almost like an alimony. If you, if you leave California, you got to pay a tax for three years after yeah, that's fucking fuck that's ludicrous. Yeah. Ludicrous. Yeah. Are they still going to give you police protection? So there's a problem. My house, you're going to send cops. Are you going to, you're going to fucking uh, provide whatever else it is that you provide fucking what, what assholes, just what, what an asshole government California has. It's fucking crazy. Yeah. It, it, it's funny. Cause I was just out on the road and uh, you know, people don't understand how great California is other than that. Sure. You know, so they'll just throw out like this guy threw out in the crowd, fuck Hollywood. And I'm like, oh, really? Okay. So you're not going to watch any movies ever again yeah. on TV. That's what you're saying. <laughs> you know? Yeah. No, 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 You know, it's like, it's a great area and it's just kind of lost its way right now. You know, I love LA. And as you know, you you think you're supposed to not like each coast and then you go out. There. I've spent a lot of time there. And I learned, I loved it. I started loving it probably back in 2005, you know, like before that I was like, but you know, it was just because for no reason, there was nothing yeah. behind it other than I think I'm supposed to feel this way. Yeah. Um, and I felt small when I was out there, like smaller than I do here. Um, so you'd go out there and you didn't know anybody or you, it, the business was overwhelming. Um, and I've never been a darling of the business. I mean, let's be honest. I, yeah. I'm, I'm, it's a miracle. I've had a career at all considering the stuff I've talked about. So I've always, I guess I've limited myself and it, which is okay. I mean, I'm not complaining, but the right. business has never completely loved me. So yeah. I, I never felt amazing out there, but you do got that. That's, I mean, there's that great thing of a Jim Norton or an Atel where I felt like you kind of were just honest and said, whatever you feel. And, you know, pre what we'd call the cancel culture now of uh, the lunacy of people going after each other, but you, you know, you guys have always just been who you are, which is fucking great. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, it's funny with, with the whole idea of get people canceling each other over joke, canceling people is it, it's, it's lazy thinking. It's they're lazy people. Um, and they think they're being like really progressive and strong, but they're just removing something they don't like because they're too insecure in their own point to go back and forth or they're too um, mentally coddled to realize that they're just going to be differing opinions on stuff and they can't handle it's like a child who doesn't want other children to feel a different way um and the only way to combat that is, is to discuss it with with revulsion it's a repulsive thing and it's dishonest and um you know it's like the whole country and the conservatives you know they don't cancel you for that but they go after you for other shit and the whole country is just running around just kind of biting each other's assholes out that's what we're doing 
We're just, we're literally just biting each other, hoping that no one bites us. It's, it's, it's crazy. Um, and to watch some people think that their side isn't doing it. That's the, 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 the greatest goof is for, there are actually people that think like, well, the people that I align with don't do that. It's like, yeah, they do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they do. And also I think uh, I've said this for the last couple of years, if you have nothing to cancel, they're not going to come after you. So say you're a mid-level guy, you could say whatever you want in these clubs for years. And then the second you got a TV show or something that they can take from you, then they'll go after you. And then once they go after you, they move on to the next guy. And we don't even remember who they canceled two weeks ago. Because again, and again, because again, and this is where people, and this is where we all, you know, we, we always like to deny who we are as Americans. We deny it. We like to attack. Like, you know, nobody admits how good it feels to fucking kick the shit out of somebody sitting in the middle of the street, but that's all it is. Um, and nobody will admit their own motives behind. That's why they move on to the next person because you need that. The next one, the next one, the next one. And nobody wants to admit that fucking ugliness. It's an ugly quality. Um, and that's why you can't give credence to the actual, um, the arguments they're making. Oh, well, his jokes are sh- shut up. Just shut up. Yeah. Shut up. Cause it's not consistent. You know, it's like they play whack-a-mole with it. Like, you know what I mean? You're bad. You're bad. No, we like you. We like you. You're bad. You're bad. You know, they're just making these fucking split second decisions yeah. on who they're going to pounce on denying the fact that they're avoiding certain people and denying the fact that they like to pounce on people because it fucking feels good. So they hide behind words like, well, you have to be accountable uh, because they can't just admit their motives are. It feels good to pounce. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost an addiction. Yeah. You know? It turns sure. into a, uh, an addiction form for sure. Yep. I wanted to talk a little bit. It's funny because I look at old photos of you and I look at old photos of me and we were fat motherfuckers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've gotten a little bit of my tits back in uh, COVID times. I probably put on 15 or 16 pounds um, and uh, I got to drop it. And I, I don't even care that much. I should care more, but I'm like, Ugh. you know, I, I see it, but I'm like, gives a fuck. I mean, no one's doing anything. Were you a fat kid growing up? Cause I wasn't, I just became fat one day. No, I got fat when I quit smoking in like 2002. I'm never going to be muscular. Like I would look like an asshole with abs. Some people are not. I'll give you a picture of Patton Oswalt. He looks good the way he like. You don't want to see Patton with abs or fucking Jonah Hill with abs. You know, Um, certain guys just look a little better, huskier, slightly. So I was never in any kind of real shape, Uh, but I got I was a fat fuck. Here's how I knew I was getting fat. Me and Nick DiPaolo had an argument in like 2002 while we were doing Tough Crowd. And he goes, hey, you fat fuck. And I realized that when someone fires that at me in an argument, like I'm really getting fat. Like when that's the go-to point, you know what I mean? Like if there's yeah. a guy with no leg and you're just mad, you're like, hey, you fucking one-legged asshole. Like you just go for the, <laughs> the easy. <laughs> yeah, the easiest. Yeah, you bald fucker, you know. You bald prick, yeah. yeah. That's why I, so yeah, I look back, dude, I got really fucking fat for a while. I got really fat. But I wasn't a fat kid, no. Yeah. What was your thing? Was it uh, sugar or something you drank or what? Because mine was Arizona iced teas and candy. Everything. It was, again, when you're quitting smoking, you just consume. Yeah. You know, and lack of exercise. Um, I didn't work out at all. I just ate, you know, 
carbs and bread and like even when i eat that shit now i know what i'm doing like i know i gotta like i can eat a little bit but not too much but back then you know i thought pretzels were fine yeah. uh, i didn't realize that they were all you know so it was just everything there was not one specific thing you know yeah yeah i always say i know everything about a 48 harley davidson i don't know one thing about my body you know yeah oh i'm gonna do six months of jamba juice this is good right it's fruit now nah, it's all sugar now you got diabetes you dummy you know yeah yeah, exactly. You don't know. Here's what I know about my body. I don't like how it looks and I know where the fingers feel good. Like, that's what I kind of know about my body. That's as far <laughs> as it goes. I don't know what sugars are in what, like uh, fruit juice. Should I have fruit juice? So I just said vegetable juice. I drink vegetable juice. Same here. Like, it sucks, but it's like, I know it's not bad. Yeah. 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 Makes you shit too. Oh, beet juice. Oh, oh, it's oh. amazing. Oh, yeah. When I first quit sugar and everything, I drink these two things of giant, just kind of kale, broccoli, fucking yep. these things I'd make each day. And oh, my God, you're like, oh, 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 you're just running. And it feels like the entire insides of you are coming out. Yeah. And they're terrible. They yeah. taste terrible. But oh. yeah, you do feel good. Like like later that night, you feel like, yeah, I'm glad I didn't fuck around. Um, and, you know, again, this time everybody's just kind of stuck doing nothing. What was your, uh, what did your diet consist of when you first decided to get skinny or, or get in shape? Was it just chicken and uh, vegetables or what? Grilled chicken, salmon, vegetables. I, I did a thing where the whole 30 diet I did for quite a long time. I was very depressed though. So I was just like, you fat fuck enough. And I just started going to the gym and I said, I'm not going to look at my results. I'm not going to weigh myself. I am just going to go. And I went obsessively. And then I started to see results. I started to see results, but then I, I just, I, I, I was in, I was like, I'm not going to fuck and break. Cause I don't, again, I hate myself. I just don't care. I, I can't do this anymore. So I just ate lean foods, no snacks, no desserts. I was good for years. Um, you know, and then you kind of balance out a little bit. And yeah, I remember, uh, you and I went to, uh, well, Lemmy's birthday party right before he passed his 70th. Yeah. And you and I were at the rainbow eating and you got chicken and something. And I was like, whoa, this guy's fucking, this guy's in shape, man. I mean, you looked fantastic. I was like, I got to fucking get my shit together, you know? Yeah. I felt good around then. When I, that, that was a good period for me. And I want to kind of get back to that because, but there's art. I do look at old photos. Like I would go into the cellar and SD would always go, you're too, you lose too much weight. And she would always tell me that. And other people would, and I look back at some of my old photos and I'm like, yeah, I get it. Like I, I had that fucking that like AIDS smile like that. Like uh, I'm a yeah. sick guy trying to smile through it. Fucking face. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean, and I realized I was too skinny. Um, and the advantage is you can buy any clothes you want and not care. But when I look at those photos, I'm like, you know what? 10 pounds more would have been fine. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I'm, you don't have to be ripped. I don't have a beach body. No one likes no woman has ever fucked me because, wow, that guy's an amazingly handsome guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. either been for money or because there was something about my weird personality they liked. Yeah. But no one's ever fucked me because I have abs. Never. No one's ever looked at my chest and went, this guy's the build on this guy. I have to fuck him. It's never happened. You ever have a uh, like a 10 hit on you uh, and you're just kind of like, something's up here. You know what I mean? Because you, you and I, we're not the people that get tens, you know, we just, we just don't, you know, it's always, and I would always go, what's wrong with her. Yeah. Like, what is that? 
But I've had really hot girls do that, but I always know that it's something in my personality that they like. Like there's, because I'm very accepting of people's perversion and dirtiness. And I, I you know, it's weird, I guess, because I've been open. I've had women confess things to me or just thoughts they've had or dirty fantasy, like things that they've never told. Us. So I think it's a personality thing. So whenever I would get that, I would always attribute it to, it, there's something about my personality that she feels like, yeah, I can kind of connect to this guy's dirtiness, you know? Um, but I knew it was never looks or I think my looks are something that they're like, all right, like that's as far as it goes. That's the enthusiasm my looks get. Ah, I can put up with this, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like moving yeah. into a nice house in a shitty yeah. neighborhood or whatever. Yeah. Like there's always the, 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 the trade off. And I think my, my face, my body was something that they would accept. Like, yeah, it was tolerable, not, but it was never a selling point. Are you married now? No, no, no I've been single my whole life, dude. I mean, uh, on again, off again, dating. Hopefully after the pandemic, I'll get something really good going. But are you, you single know. right now? Yeah. I mean, I date, but where am I going? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, to me, it's like, I'm, uh, this sounds like so weird, but I, I didn't start comedy till 44. So I'm like, oh, here's my new girlfriend, you know, yeah. and I'm obsessed with it. You know what I mean? I'm still at that point. You remember 10 years in where oh, you're yeah. just like, holy shit. I, you know, it's funny, like the obsession, there, there was like I, every, I went on almost every night, like for a long time. Like, I, you know, once in a while something would happen and I couldn't, um, but I mean, I would became, I was obsessed for, yeah, like 10 years, 15 years of going on. And I'm glad I was like that though, because it gave me a good work ethic and it got me to a certain point where you learn to do shit you don't want to do. Like, you know what I mean? Like you don't want to do stuff, but you make yourself do it. And to me, that's a really important thing with lasting making because anyone can go on and kill in front of a big room if, if you have a you know if, if your material is working but it's like all right what do i do after i film it do i start over do i do the same shit for years like you know that it, to, to last i think you got to do stuff you don't want to do you got to be good at that yeah it is that um that era now of shoot the special and then got to start all over from the ground up yeah uh, which is interesting because back when you and i uh were growing up you know, maybe you see the comedian once, uh, you know, I, I go see Carlin. Uh, Carlin did do new material every year, but, every year. Uh, you know, Seinfeld, Chris Rogan. I had no idea if they had done that stuff three years before or whatever. Sure. Was, I was going to see a concert, a comedy concert back then. Had no idea. And also, I remember when I first started and I was going to the comedy store every night and people were doing the same stuff every night. I was like, well, when I start, I'm going to do new shit every day. And then you realize, yeah. oh, no, that's absolutely impossible. You can do a little a little piece here and there, but a, a new hour every day, you know, it doesn't work. That It's like it's like making a sculpture. You don't start it and go back the next day and just take a brand new block of rock and try and start over. You take what you got and you fix it and you go, oh, that sucks. The nose is too big or whatever it is. Um, and then there's guys that get caught in a loop and just fucking do the same shit all the time. I, you know, and I, hey, look, I almost admire their ability to do it. I, I get so fucking bored. Oh, yeah. That was my favorite thing to do was shoot a special and then realize I will never say these things again and then go to the cellar with nothing. Like I would just walk on. I would probably bomb for a month or two after I shot a special. I mean, I would just go up with a few ideas and suck. And yeah. you would take a couple of things that you had cut out of the special. Like that would be kind of your working point. Like there might have been 15 minutes or 12 minutes you shot that that just you didn't keep in the special, but were still decent. And then you build off that. That yeah, was kind of how I would do it. That's what Bill does. He always has that extra 15. Yeah. 
And then he starts working on, and you got the, um, you have the, you know, years under your belt where you could do that at the cellar. I've been at the cellar for 25 years. I still don't want Esty to see me bomb. Like she, she will sometimes like just, she'll be sitting there and I'm just eating a dick. And like, I know I'm secure there, but it's still not pleasant. Like, yeah. Uh, you know, you still don't like it. Cause she's like, okay. You know, she, you know how she is. She, she's not, you know, I never feel like I'm going to get in trouble. Right. Um, right. But it's still not, I still don't want to go up there and tank in front of her. Like on a Saturday, like, uh, yeah. you just rather not. You'd rather not. You never know. I, I also <laughs> want to do good for Keith because he recommended me. So I don't want them oh. to go like, hey, Keith, what the fuck? You know, so I do really take it super serious there yeah. in the store, you know? Yeah, you always want to do well. I mean, um, you know, and I don't go up there and bomb on purpose. It's it's one of those things where I do, but I do use it to work out because it's a great uh, cross section of people. Like it's it's the village, man. Fucking everyone, black, white, tourists, Asian, people from London. Like everybody's coming through there. It's a distracting room because the, the 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 fucking bar is right there. People walk through to piss. It's a great place to gauge how do I handle weird moments. How do I handle talking? How do I handle half the room being sent like? It's a great room to to uh, to work on every aspect of what I need to work on, which is it's made me a much better comic working there over the years. How do you like the comedy store? I know you, you're not there much, but uh, I know back in the day you you were there and Dice tapped you to open form. Uh, yeah, which is pretty fucking cool. Uh, you remember the old days of the store? Ninety seven was when I went on there for the first time because I was out there doing the Louis Anderson show, and that's when I met Dice. But again, I, I've never been 100% comfortable there because, again, I've never really lived in L.A. other than doing Lucky Louie. But I would be there for two weeks and then the, the, we had a week off. So the following morning, I would fly home first thing, go on at the cellar that night and do a week of radio and spots at the cellar and then fly back on the following Sunday for Monday read-throughs for Lucky Louie. So I never lived in L.A. like for anything more than a couple weeks at a time. Uh, but I love this store. It's a, the great energy. Um, I love the fact that comedians all just hang out there. There's, you know, Joe is there or Dice or, or Diaz. There's always guys you like there. Yeah, Diaz is fucking great. Yeah. I yeah. love touring with Diaz because he's kind of like a like a big Yoda, you know? Yeah. You'll just be there and he'll be like, yeah, it's all bullshit. You know, he'll just throw that out and you'll be like, what? <laughs> you know, what, yeah. what do you mean? You know? <laughs> I've never been on the road with him. Um, you know, we did, I remember in Vegas, we did a show with, it was I, me, him, Bobby Lee and Dice. And this is 2003 because it was like a later 9-11 benefit, I think, or 2002. Um, and then, and I did like a, a set with, with, with Joe once in Vegas, but I don't think I've ever been on the road with Joey. I, I've never traveled with him, but I, I lazy, he's, he's great, man. What was it like opening for Dice back then? Like you did the garden and stuff with him. Uh, were yeah. you one of the comics where at immediate booze back then? Remember Dice's comics? No. No, it's funny. The garden I did in 2000 um, and he, it wasn't sold out, but the reason it wasn't sold out is he sold out the beacon six days earlier and the booking schedule was weird. They, this was game five of the subway world series between the Yankees and the Mets. Oh, fuck. Um, so if it wasn't for that or the beacon six days early, he would have sold it out too. Cause it was still like 11, 12,000 people that was really crowded. Um, you know, it was weird. I, I never totally bombed opening for him. I got very, very, aggressive um i learned to be aggressive early like um you know you go up and you have to prove yourself and you would get hecklers but i was always pretty good at dealing with them from traveling in new jersey and doing those fucking hell gigs 
So I would move very fast and I would be very aggressive and I would always do pretty well in front of dice. And uh, there was one time at the Rosemont theater in Chicago, which he was, did two nights there. There was like 4,000 seats. Both shows were sold out and man cow went up and he introduced me. And before I got to the fucking microphone, it was a big stage. Yeah. They were booing. I mean, they were fire. And I'm like, I couldn't hear myself talking. They were booing so loud. So I'm like, all right, this is just going to be a nightmare. So I was just started ripping into them and shitting on Chicago and uh, bashing them and fuck you. I was just being belligerent. And then a couple of guys heckled and I addressed them. And it's weird how hecklers, you know, that a guy heckles. And there was one moment where the crowd just listened. Yeah. And in that moment, I knew that if, I, you just knew this was the moment. Like, and I wound up smashing him and then a few people laughed and then someone else and then a few more laughed. And then I wound up turning it into an okay. I didn't kill, but I survived the set and turned it into a decent set. Um, that's as close as I came to totally dying in front of dice. But it, uh, it really taught me an amazing lesson about how, how hecklers, there's such a psychology with the audience that even though they were all yelling at me, they still wanted to see what I would say. Yeah, yeah. When I addressed this one guy who would heckle from the back, and it was that perfect storm of they all shut up for a second. Like, rrr, rrr. and I and I had that moment, you know. Um, so that yeah. was the one time where a heckler actually helped. Don't you feel that like morning radio? Um, like when I was on your show a couple of weeks ago, it was weird because I was kind of nervous because I wanted to be good because Kenny Club Soda Kenny recommended yeah. me. Um, but, you know, morning rodeo is such a science. You don't want to stomp all over people. You don't sure. want to be that guy that's trying to throw fucking jokes nonstop. But I feel like handling hecklers and crowd work really can get you good at morning radio. You know? Yeah. Well, you're learning to, because you're working off the cuff. Like there's nothing that like some radio shows want you to do material Opie and Anthony always hated that. You know, we hate it. Like we never want guys doing material because it's insulting. Like if a guy's doing his act, I'm like, what do you, what am I a fucking, do I just pick you up at the airport to do a college? I know what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. You don't yeah. have to do that. Like um, it's harder on zoom too, Dean. Like, you know, we all have a hard time on zoom because yeah, the timing of it, there's a weird energy in person, which, yeah. which is more comfortable. So zoom is something we're all kind of navigating, you yeah. know, it's, it's a little harder. Well, it is funny because, uh, you know, I, I don't like to read the comments, but then I read the comics because I want I wanted to do good on your guys show. And then everybody was like, oh, this is great because I'm not on there to try to be funny. I'm trying to tell some stories or whatever, you know. And uh, then one guy goes, oh, this guy, this cunt was boring, like all the comics on there. And then right away, I was like, oh, this guy just fucking doesn't even know comedy. You know, I never read the comments like yeah. I, I, I have no idea if it was YouTube or Twitter. And it's not because I, I, I do care about people's thoughts, but I, I, I'm at a point where I put my, like there's, you know, the real Jim Norton is my a public Gmail. They can contact me if they want. And I get criticized there. And sometimes I'll write back unless the guy's a real cunt that I just didn't. But I mean, like a lot of times if I read something, I will write back if somebody's at least halfway tolerable. Um, Cause sometimes they're right, but I, I never go on um, and read at mentions because for what? Like it's, it's, there's this myth that well, you know, you have to engage with your, no, you don't. No. The fucking what, what actors do movies and they talk to the people on the fucking theater or you're on stage <laughs> the engagement you do is you tell a joke and they laugh or they don't laugh. Like, I don't want their personal 
fucking yeah. take on every joke. I don't need that. Like this whole fuck, this is publicist shit. You know, you know, you need to engage with you. No, you don't. Yeah. You don't need to fucking engage with anybody. Like when you're performing, if people like it, they'll come back and watch you again. If they don't like it, they won't. And the comments can be helpful. I'm not saying they're not, but I find more often than not, if you begin to allow comments or immediate feedback to dictate performance, it's never going to work because <clears throat> instead of going, this is what I want to do, it's almost probably unconscious. We start looking for what we think they want. And I mean, we're doing that anyway as performers, but you still have to kind of put out what you want as a thing. And you can't be going, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. You know, every it's like eating pussy. You don't look up every five seconds and go, how am I doing? How am I? Okay, good. Okay, <laughs> good, good. <laughs> There's only so much feedback that yeah. you need. And I do, I started getting to a point where and it wasn't even negative comments that made me, it was like checking for likes. And I'm like, you fucking needy asshole. Yeah. I, I got so annoyed at myself. I'm like, how much do you need? Like, what, what are you doing? Well, you need constant fucking feedback and communication. It just, it was exhausting. Yeah. It is true, man. It is true. It's a weird game. Cause like I said, I don't ever like to read the comments, but I wanted to do good on the show. So I was just curious what your guys' fan base was saying. And, okay. You know, that's all I cared about. Like, Oh yeah, cool. You know, they dug it and all of them dug it except for this one dick. But you know, and then the next day I was like, I don't give a fuck, you know? Oh dude, it, it, yeah, it would, yeah. I, Sam and I had a great time with you. Like I, again, not that we don't care about, we do care about fan opinions, but if we're doing something that we're enjoying and it's like, it's a comedian we like, and we're having fun with like, it's, I wouldn't even, I mean, I, I don't think maybe I am that off on what other people are looking for, but you know, I mean, I can only do what, what I enjoy doing. I can't gear every show towards what I think people are going to respond to in the moment. Cause when you do that, you lose any sense of what you want to talk about. Yeah. Yeah, man. I mean, you gotta, that's exactly right. Like when I started comedy, you know, I had people going like, you should be the rocker comic. And then other people are like, you Ugh. should be the biker comic. And I was like, that's disgusting. It's you terrible. know what I mean? I want to be a comedian. I, and, yeah. and I don't want to be a rock and roll comic and box myself in. Okay. People no. don't like rock. So they're not going to go see you or the biker. That's just lame. I wanted to be a comedian. You know, yeah, those are terrible fucking, those are fucking <laughs> terrible things. You know, I'm the, this comedian or the, the worst, know. the worst. It's the worst. Yeah. Just be you. I, I want to thank you for doing the show, man. Of course. And, Happy to uh, uh, I'm a big fan of you, man. I, I, oh, liked, thank you, Dean. I liked your comic uh, comedy for years and, uh, you know, it was great to always see you in New York. And yes. there is that thing. I always thought like, fuck, I'm not going to go bug him. You know what I mean? And, uh, but I do love your comedy and I, and I love that you love great music. Yeah. Yeah. And fucking your show's great, man. So thank you. This thank is fun. And uh, come back with me and Sam whenever you like. I mean, uh, uh really enjoyable. Yeah. And, uh, shout out to club Sona Kenny. I just spent yeah. eight days with him. He's so <laughs> great. Yeah, I spent a great deal of time uh, talking to Kenny. Um, not as much as I used to because I'm not really on the road. Or, but uh, yeah, he's one of my favorite people. He's Kenny is, you never, here's what no one's ever said. I wonder how Kenny feels. You know exactly where you stand with Kenny at all moments. That's the beauty of him. So, yeah. yeah, I love him. Yeah, yeah, he's great. <laughs> he's so funny. He's like, have you ever had Jim on? I go, fuck, I've been trying for years. I'm not Jonathan. He goes, Hold on. And like the next day's all, 
here's his number. He said he'll do it. I'm like, fuck yeah, yeah. Kenny's got power. <laughs> no, just come right to me. I'm, I'm easy. A lot of times the manager or the publicist, it gets lost in the shuffle. Yeah. And I've had that where I've just asked people and I try to avoid going through managers or publicists when I can, because again, a lot of times the performer's fine with something, but they're like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they forget and they get, you know, cause they're idiots too. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right, man. Well, uh, your show's on every day on Sirius XM. You obviously don't have any comedy shows coming up. No. But looking forward to the vaccine. Looking forward to seeing you again in New York City. You too, and, Dean. Uh, and hopefully we'll go see some rock and roll together, man. Yep, definitely. When people start touring again, hopefully this year. Yeah, it'll be great. Thank you so much, man. Anytime, buddy. Thank you. I'll see you later. Happy holidays, huh? You too, Dean. Take care. Thanks for having me, man. See you, brother. All right, pal. Be good.